Hi, this is Jennifer Gaskin. And this is Giselle Rivera Flores. And this is Don't Don't Touch Touch My My Podcast. Podcast. The show where we delve into the complexities of diversity, inclusivity, and what it means to be a Latin and Black woman in America. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7. Today's topic on Don't Touch My Podcast is the second in our series on education. Today we're talking about the school-to-prison pipeline. What is the school-to-prison pipeline? What does this actually mean? The school-to-prison pipeline, a disturbing national trend wherein youth are funneled out of public schools and into the juvenile and criminal legal systems. Many of these youth are black or brown, have disabilities or history of poverty, abuse, or neglect, and would benefit from additional support and resources. Instead, they are isolated, punished, and pushed out. Zero tolerance policies criminalize minor infraction of school rules, while cops and schools lead to students being criminalized for behavior that should be handled inside of the school. Students of color are especially vulnerable to the push-out trends and discriminatory application of discipline. For most students, the pipeline begins with inadequate resources in public schools, overcrowded classrooms, lack of qualified teachers, and insufficient funding for extras such as counselors, special education services, and even textbooks lock students into a second-rate educational environment. This failure to meet educational need increases disengagement and dropouts, increases the risk of later court involvement. Even worse, schools may actually encourage dropouts in response to pressures from test-based accountability, such as the No Child Left Behind Act, which creates incentives to push out low-performing students to boost overall test scores. Zero-tolerance policies that automatically impose severe punishment regardless of circumstances. Under these policies, students have been expelled for bringing nail clippers or scissors to school. Rates of suspension have increased dramatically in recent years from 1.7 million in 1974 to 3.1 million in 2000. And the most dramatic increase has been for children of color. Overly harsh disciplinary policies push students down the pipeline and into the juvenile justice system. Suspended and expelled children are often left unsupervised and without constructive activities so they can easily fall behind in their coursework, leading to a greater likelihood of disengagement and dropout. All of these factors increase the likelihood of court involvement. Youth who become involved in the juvenile justice system are often denied procedural protections in the court. In one state, up to 80% of court-involved children do not have lawyers, and students who commit minor offenses may end up in secure detention if they violate boilerplate probation conditions prohibiting them from activities like missing school or disobeying teachers. I think I shared in one of our prior episodes about how my son came to school with his fishing knife in his bag and was going to go to the expulsion committee, et cetera, and I withdrew him. And this is exactly why, because I felt like if I had allowed him to go forward in that process, that we might be having a different conversation about him right now. Giselle, what are your thoughts? 
One of the things that also strikes me is that we're talking about a community that is already being seen as neglectful and already seen as the problem in the situation. Before you are seen as a child, you're seen as a criminal. So that comes first. The other piece of this that we didn't really get to touch base on is the fact that another part for school to prison pipeline is tardiness here in Massachusetts for the most part we have tardiness laws and we trudencies and things Mm -hmm. like that if you're late so many times you have you actually get an absence and then after so many absences then you are basically brought in front of the court and DCF gets involved because you have been absent from school an average person would say yeah that makes sense because you have to go to school you have to attend school without attending school that's how we know that there's problems at home yes average in our communities, that's not always the case. Most of the time, it's single parents trying to get kids to school, and so sometimes the time just flies by. I have three kids, so trying to get them anywhere, it takes me forever. On top of that, we also know that our population and our community suffers from a lower quality of health. A lot of our kids are born with asthma and all of these predisposed conditions that make them more prone to going to the doctors and the hospitals. I know here in Massachusetts, there is a rule in where you can only have... I think it's about three to five. I think excused, it's five. It I is, think it's right? five. Yeah. Excused absences. And the school decides what's an excused absence. I'll just get a doctor's note and we'd say we were at the doctor's today. That's where we were. This is the proof. And here you go. They can actually deny that and say, well, that's not sufficient enough. I need more information, which now then exposes our vulnerabilities as individuals and as children, giving them valuable information that's personal. And so I think of privacy issues. But on top of that, there's a cap which blows my mind for five. If a child is hospitalized for five days, you're already up. That's it. There goes your five days. So you better be healthy and ready to rock and roll for the rest of the academic year. I think that puts kids in a really bad situation. Sometimes also the school itself is a demotivator. It demotivates kids from attending school. Sometimes if they're not getting the right attention that they need or the right resources at school, it can become difficult. And then at the end of the day, they don't want to return. It really is something that on paper looks one way but then from experiences and once you talk to families and from our own experiences you start to realize what's on paper doesn't really cover it. even for myself when I first heard people talk about the school to prison pipeline and about removing offices from school at first I'm like wait a minute what if my kids want to learn and these kids are being disruptive that's not fair maybe we should have police in the school maybe that should be a part of it But then when you drill down into it, for example, we at a school, they had two children that got in a fight. The police were there for some other reason, witnessed it, chased down the other student. And now the police are involved and a child is getting arrested for evading arrest or whatever. And then also for the assault and battery when it was a school fight, when like we were just talking about in the intro that could have been handled in the school. When we got in fights. Yeah, if we get in fights, when we got in fights in school, you got in trouble, you got suspended, you got in-school suspension, you got sent home, whatever the case may be, but there wasn't a police element to it. 
the important part there is that they should be helping in resources and the education piece. I think that because there are so many other things that kids are going through at home, outside of the school academic world, they are more prone to act out. If they're going hungry for days at a time, if they don't have a place to sleep, I'm sure there's kids that go to school, those are the only meals they get, and then they come home and they're trying to figure out, or they come out of school and they're trying to figure out where they're going to sleep for the night, or they're going to stay at their friend's house. That's a lot of pressure on someone at that age where they can't really learn how to manifest what they want to say or articulate it in such a way and their frustrations are taken out violently Mm -hmm. we start to fight and we treat each other badly and it's most of the time it's circumstantial it's not really the way you want that to portray yeah but they don't know any other way schools instead of investing in police officers that are there to break up said fights they should be investing in social workers and they should be investing in programs that are at school to teach kids how to be more mindful there's a lot of schools that i've seen that are not public schools and i think they do a phenomenal job in the sense that there's these wraparound services we're educating kids on actual feelings we're educating kids on how to project and how to talk and how to articulate and how to problem solve and how to compromise because we're not always going to agree that's just a matter of life that's a a fact we're never going to agree with each other a thousand percent but we don't instead we just hire police officers and we make the policy stronger one of the things that i saw when i was reading the other day was this really fascinating statistic and it said juvenile crime rates are plummeting so that means that overall in the united states it's going down yeah it's going down juveniles are not getting in trouble on the streets as they did back in the day the juvenile incarceration rate dropped 41 percent between 1995 and 2010 however the school discipline policies are moving in the opposite direction out of school suspensions have increased about 10 percent since 2000 and they have been doubled since 1970s, and it's hardly racially balanced. Black students are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled than white students, according to the Department of Education and Office of Civil Rights. And in research in Texas found that they have been suspended more likely to be held back by a grade and ultimately drop out of school entirely. Like I was saying before, the school policies start to demotivate the children from progressing. It's almost like they're hindering them from gaining social skill sets that we all need because the school system is really not set up for that. It's also really not set up for a proper education most of the time. I'm not saying that the public education is not valuable to many of us. I just think that it can have many improvements. Many of us have been blessed and fortunate to go to schools that were in a better neighborhood or they provided better education or better resources. But for the ones that haven't, they're really in a system that's not set up for learning. They're in a system that's disruptive. They're in a system where they're lacking textbooks, school books, supplies. They're in a system in where there are no other escapes. That creates a very jail-like system. The teachers start to become the wardens of the school and the students, the prisoners, and you can't say anything without getting thrown out of class. My husband told me a story when he was younger. I guess he was in high school. Him and his best friend were in a class, and he said that his teacher just was always very miserable. And throughout his friend, who out of class got suspended, all these things happened, because he was eating a candy bar in class the wrong way not because there was no how, food how allowed. do you how do you eat a 
How do you eat it the wrong way? I couldn't even tell you. This is like a joke they have for the last 17 years that I've been with my husband. They joke about it all the time when we might get like a candy bar. He always says, watch how you eat that because it's so funny now as you're growing up. But like before that was trauma that's creating like a system. And now you're thinking as a student, like, I didn't even do anything. I'm right. a kid. I didn't do anything wrong. And now you're punishing me and punitizing me for something I really didn't even do. I remember because you my, were in a bad mood. No, I remember my son got kicked out of study hall. <laughs> because he was sleeping. I'm like, it's study hall. You get to do what you need to do. It's and if you study have hall. To do. Why is he getting kicked? Like, how does that happen? I remember when I was younger, I've so Jen and I read a lot of books, and I think we've already established that. But when I was younger, I used to read books like in elementary school, I would read like Stephen King. I used to like James Patterson for some odd reason. I was big on like Hemingway. So I'd come to school with these. Big, big books. books. I would always have at least one with me. When I would finish my homework, my test or whatever, I would pull out my book and I got in trouble one time for reading a book that they thought was inappropriate for me. My mom went to school and was like, are you arguing with me that my daughter's reading now? That's the issue. He's reading a book and that's the problem. That's a problem. You're getting too educated. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to, to plug our sponsor and we'll be back in 30 seconds. Looking for a new skincare routine to boost your self-care days? Check out Phoenix Natural Skincare and explore a collection of skincare filled with antioxidants and olive oil. Known for its hydration and protection against skin aging, Phoenix Natural Skincare is the kind of skincare that makes you want to obsessively use it all day long. From the Rose Beauty Oil to the Honey Oat Cleansing Bar, each product breathes life back into your morning routine. Oh, and while you're shopping for oils and moisturizers, don't forget to order your crystal roller to give your face the massage it deserves. The best part is that it's women-owned and locally sourced. Follow them on Instagram at Phoenix Skincare, P-H-E-N-I-C Skincare. Welcome back to Don't Touch My Podcast. This is season one, episode seven, and we're talking about the school to prison pipeline. Across all grade levels, black students represent about 16% of the overall student population, but are 32 to 42% of the students who face out-of-school suspension, 27% of the students referred to law enforcement, and 31% of the students who experience a school-related arrest. Black students are suspended or expelled at a rate three times higher than white students, which is what you just mentioned, Giselle. 20% of black boys and 12% of black girls face out-of-school suspension. This is where the school-to-prison pipelines. There's an example here about a student who was suspended for five months or most of the school year after being accused of being a gangbanger by school administrators. What did the school consider proof of him being a gangbanger? He flashed gang signs in a picture with classmates. The only issue is that his supposed gang signs was him putting up his number on the school's football team and holding his thumb and forefinger and middle finger. So he got lost five months of the school year because somebody perceived that as a gang sign. Honestly, I couldn't even be his mother because I would have sued the living days out of that school system. I would have lost it. Like, I would have lost it. That's the other thing. We were talking about weapons and weapons and gang-related signs and behaviors. They're being broadly interpreted, making 
a, a gun with your finger becomes in the school terms a weapon eating a pop tart that's shaped as a gun becomes a weapon but what's oddly enough is that we're talking about a time in where we have a ton of school shootings and no one is doing anything about the gun issue but if you're a student and you put two fingers up you're a criminal they're outsourcing the policies of the school out into the prisons and the juvenile detentions it becomes this big fiasco but people can literally walk into schools shoot and nothing is absolutely done not a sentence the person doesn't get shot we're still fighting we're still fighting about gun reform and nobody but in schools if you do put two fingers up all of a sudden you're an actual criminal and you're going to jail at the age of eight which it seems that the zero tolerance policy is so strict that it really is up for interpretation that's why we have such broad incidences in the black and brown community opposed to other communities. And I remember I told you this story and I think my daughter was in second grade and she was attending a school here in the city and she just decided that she had it that day and she walked out and the school calls me and they're like, oh, your daughter walked out of the school and was sitting outside in the courtyard and you have to come get her because that's a safety issue. Whose safety issue is that? Mine or yours? How is my second grader getting outside in the courtyard? And why do I have to pick her? Why is she being punished? Opposed to having this conversation. Instead of having this conversation about why did she feel like she needed to escape the environment that she was in, that she felt like I needed to go sit out in the courtyard. Why not explain to the children about safety and about why we don't go outside during school times, why we're not supposed to do certain things so that way they feel like it is a safe place? Because obviously she felt safe enough to walk outside. Right. (laughs) So what is going in 2009, the Los Angeles Unified School District reported the following numbers for out of school suspension. 62 percent Hispanic students. 33% black students, 3% white, and 2% Asian. But the district's racial breakdown looks very different. 72.3% Hispanic, 10.1% white, 9.6% African American, and 4% Asian. How do we get from 72.3% Hispanic breakdown in the actual school district with 62 percent of those students being in out of school suspension well, i feel like you gave a perfect example right the young boy who put his numbers up for his jersey on the football team and was instantly categorized as a thug or a criminal and suspended for five months if a white child put the number two and the number four the correlation between him right. and a positive activity is assumed but because the other child is black or brown it is assumed that two four no longer means two four it means something else yeah, it means it's something the insane. Two f- these numbers are exactly what's happening in the school system and the out of school suspensions because schools are penalizing and reprimanding students of color more frequently because they're automatically putting the label on them before they even do anything before they do anything to increase that it says the disparities begins in preschool so we're talking about here in school suspension or out of school suspensions at that point we're talking about like probably middle point right that's older that's middle school yeah middle school this is saying that it starts at preschool which is 2.9 right yeah preschool 48 percent of preschool children have been suspended more because they are black 
in my brain to suspend How are you a suspending a two like what is a two year old doing that warrants suspension? What kind of threat does a two year old, a three year old, right. a two year old, a four year old right. possess that you feel that they're a threat to you, your safety, and the safety of other children that you have to do it out of school suspension? But what does that do to somebody's self? self-esteem what does that do to some how somebody sees themselves if already before you even reach the age you're barely learning how to use the toilet and somebody's telling you that you're a danger this is what we talk about all the time and this is about perception to bring it to marketing terms like how my brain works in marketing we have a thing called brand perception that means That is the perception that your brand receives from your audience. Let's say Levi jeans or Louis Vuitton or whatever. Their audience perceives that brand one specific way or a few different ways. Now, what the issue is is that brand perception, you always want to kind of refresh that because it doesn't align with Mm self-perception. So Louis Vuitton, Levi, Nike, they might be like, oh my God, we're doing fantastic work. We're hitting like the culture and diversity. We're doing this. We're being inclusive, all of these things. And it could be coming off very on off. And so the audience is perceiving it a completely different way. And this is the same setup in where a child could say they're just having a good time or playing around or horse playing. They're just like playing with their hands. That turns into, oh no, they were fighting. What makes you say these things without really understanding the context of it. I always say to my kids, first before we're humans, we're black and we're brown. And then after that, we're women. And then after that, we're this. It's because there's this long line of perceptions first before anything else. I'm very cognizant of where I am and what space I'm in and who I'm with before I say certain things because I know for a fact that I will be easily labeled as something else. Yesterday, I was at the Worcester Women's Leadership Conference. It's their 13th annual conference. And the event overall was fantastic. But I sat in on one of, don't touch my podcast, was inside the diversity and equity and unconscious bias, breakdown conversations and breakout rooms. There was this one breakout room for unconscious bias. And she was an attorney who decided to take on this work of just making sure that we're educating people on what an unconscious bias is, implicit X. Mm-hmm, people just mm-hmm. don't understand the they psychology understand behind it. this. Yeah, they don't and so it. they don't really see the lasting impact. And what the woman said was one of her cases was a young boy who like playing with friends at school. He must have been eight or nine, I think she said. Playing with his friends at school, there were horse playing and he ended up mooning, like pulling his pants out, mooning. They're all laughing. The child was pulled out of school. The child had to register for indecent exposure, which means that now at the age of eight or nine, he's being he's a, sexual, he's a, a sexual, sexual predator. Right, yeah. Yep. So he's on the sex offender list. And that's not something that you can you don't just get. Seal. Yeah, you can't. You it doesn't that. come off. That's it. So from the age of nine, this young boy who thought it would be funny, like a funny joke, a prank Mm, to to pull down his pants, like completely not. Wow. Not in a sexual format, not to do any harm maliciously, but just as a joke is now set up in the system and went to juvenile. She didn't really explain what happened thereafter, but she mentioned he went to juvenile. He registered as a sex offender. So now you can't even get a job. Like his life is over. At eight years old, over a joke. We always try to bring it back to how do we change? How do we make positive change? 
So we need to create a favorable school climate that helps prevent and changes inappropriate behaviors. Train staff, engage families in the community, and find resources to aid students in developing the social, emotional, and conflict resolution skills needed to de-escalate problems. Provide mentors and counselors and give students a way to address underlying causes of their misbehavior. Make sure there are clear and appropriate expectations and consequences in place to prevent misconduct. Hold students accountable for their behavior, teach them responsibility, respect, and form the boundaries of acceptable behavior. Relying on suspension and expulsion as a last resort should only be used for severe infractions and equip staff with strategies to address problem behaviors while keeping students engaged in learning. Create ways to ensure fairness and equity for all students, no matter their race or condition they're in. Continuously evaluate discipline policies and practices by using data and analyses. There's one program, it's called the Multi-Systemic Therapy, and it is the abbreviation. A proven scientific intervention for at-risk youth. The MST therapists work with the child in their home, school, and community, and they are available 24-7 to the child and the family. MST is intensive and designed for families and communities to address the problems impacting at-risk children. The program works to empower parents to focus on their children in school and learning life skills. There are programs out there, and much like what Giselle was mentioning, there are seminars and breakouts, and they're a way to educate ourselves, even ourselves personally as people of color, on the biases that frame our perspectives and how we interact with other people. And frankly, there's always room for growth. So we are Don't Touch My Podcast, and again, we're telling people Stop the school to prison pipeline. Let's talk about it. Let's get those resources out there and let's make change.